Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's nothing quite so powerful on earth as the power of water. Perhaps you've had the chance to vacation near the ocean before and to to play in the waves. It's amazing how easily a, a large wave, even a medium wave, can overpower you and just toss you wherever it wants. If you haven't been to the ocean before, perhaps you've gone canoeing on the lake here in Manitoba, and that can be quite relaxing on a calm lake, but if you're out on the water and uh, a large wind starts blowing strongly and you're far from camp, you know you're in for a tough go. Or just think of the power of a tsunami. Tsunamis cause great destruction. No man-made structure can withstand power of a giant tsunami. It is true that God reveals his own power in the storm and in the waves, and it's only a fraction of his power. Uh, During one of the first thunderstorms I witnessed as a child, I remember being quite captivated by the thunder, and I remember my mom telling me that the thunder was God talking. Well, that certainly grabbed my attention as a little boy, And in a way, you can say that. After all, Psalm 29, verse 3 says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of glory thunders. See, God reveals His power in the storm and in the power of the sea. That's what our text this morning is all about. It's about our God. It's about who our Savior is, our Lord Jesus Christ. Understanding the proper identity of our Savior is so important. It's essential for our relationship to God. It it gives an anchor for our hearts as we face the storms of life. And it also is meant for us to respond to Him in worship and adoration. And so I preached to you God's uh, word this morning from Mark 4 under the following theme of points. God is revealed in Christ as he calms the wind and the waves. And in this passage, we see, first of all, two different rebukes, and secondly, two different fears. So God is revealed in Christ as he calms the wind and the waves. In this passage, we see two different rebukes and two different fears. Now, of all the miracles Christ did on earth, I think this miracle is the one I'm most fascinated by. Perhaps it's because I enjoy tracking the weather and watching a good good storm. Perhaps it's just such a a vivid event in the Gospels. But in any case, to me, this miracle, almost more than any other, reveals most clearly who Christ is. And that's actually one of the most important messages coming out of this text— can get a sense of that with a question the disciples ask at the end. Who then is this? And even the wind and the sea obey him. And actually, this is one of the, the main themes of the gospel of Mark. It's like a thread running throughout its pages. As you read the entire book, you can see the question, who is Jesus, keeps coming back. What is his identity? Right at his baptism, we hear the fa- God the Father speak, You are my Son, with you I am well pleased. 
Shortly later, after entering a synagogue in Capernaum, a man with an evil spirit said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked the spirit and it came out. However, even though God knows who Jesus is and the, and the demons know who Jesus is, the humans around Jesus don't seem to get it. When Christ cast out the evil spirit, the people were astonished and exclaimed, What is this? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Later on, Jesus forgave the paralytic his sins, and, and people thought to themselves, Who can forgive sins but God alone? We see this theme coming back in our text, in Mark 4. Just before our text, large crowds gathered around the Lord Jesus. He had taught them using many parables. When evening came, after a long day of teaching, he said to his disciples, let's, let's cross to the other side of the sea. It's been a busy day. And sailing away gave them relief from the crowds. Also gave Jesus a chance to rest who is Jesus? Well, we see here that he is also true man. Just like you and I, uh, he grew tired from work and he needed rest. So Christ sought out some solitude in the back of the boat and probably in some kind of covered area, and in no time at all, he was sound asleep. However, it also did not take long before this journey came into grave danger. Suddenly, a violent windstorm arose on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is known for this type of thing. See, the elevation of the Sea of Galilee is extremely low, and there's mountains rising up on either side, and this makes it the perfect location for wind to funnel through in this spot, and for violent windstorms to arise suddenly. And many of Jesus' disciples had grown up in this area. In fact, many of them were experienced fishermen. They surely had seen these sudden storms arise before. And they knew how dangerous this was. Already the boat was filling with water. The waves were breaking into the boat. So this was a worst-case scenario for a sailor on the Sea of Galilee. And yet, their Lord, their Master, was lying down in the back of the boat, snoring away. So they came to Him, woke Him up, and said, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' In response, Christ got up, looked at the storm and the waves, and called out, Quiet! Be still! And this is the first rebuke Christ gives in our text. Remember the first point, two rebukes. This is the first rebuke. It's a rebuke directed at the wind and the waves. That's, that's stunning, right? Who does this? rebukes the weather. Have you ever seen someone try to command a thunderstorm before? Imagine it's summertime, a massive thunderstorm rolls in, the wind is raging, 
Hail is pounding down, lightning is flashing, the thunder is booming. And as the storm is raging all around, someone next to you calls out, Wind, stop your blowing already. Hail, go back up into the sky. Lightning, I don't want to see you anymore. Thunder, be quiet right now. You would probably laugh at your friend and say, well, I hope that works out for you. All the best with that. But things are completely different in our text. Christ rebuked the wind and the waves, and the wind instantly stopped blowing. And the sea grew completely calm. But as quiet as it is now. And note here that it's not just that things grew gradually calm with the wind slowly easing, the water still sloshing around for a few minutes as we might expect. No, with Christ's rebuke, there came a great instant calm. It's like those times when you're camping by a lake and... Probably many of you sleep in, but if you're an early riser, you get up, you see the lake, it's just smooth like glass, perfect water skiing weather. That's what we have here. And before the disciples could even respond, Christ gives the second rebuke of our text. This time, the rebuke is directed at the disciples themselves. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And this is, a, this is a loving rebuke. Why did Christ do this? Why did he rebuke them in this way? Well, Christ strongly implies that the disciples have not understood something yet, which they should have. They didn't understand something about the Lord Jesus. But if they did not understand something about Christ before, they are starting to get there now. Listen to the disciples' response. Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Disciples asked this question because they knew their Old Testament Bibles. And they knew the emphatic teaching in the Scriptures was this. God commands the wind and the sea, and they obey Him. You can see this right at creation. Waters covered the surface of the deep, and on day three, God commanded the waters to go to one place to create the seas, and they obeyed. Thinking about, think about the crossing of the Red Sea in the book of Exodus. Every Israelite knew this story from childhood. Yahweh sent a strong wind to push back the waters of the Red Sea so Israel could cross the Red Sea on dry ground. We sang earlier from Psalm 65. Psalm 65, verse 7, God stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. There's Nahum 1, verse 4, the Lord rebukes the sea and makes it dry. The disciples knew these things. They've been taught them since they were little, they've been taught this way since they were little children. Maybe in their youth, their fathers took them to the edge of the Sea of Galilee and told them these very things. You feel that 
strong wind blowing, son? It's our God who's making that wind blow. See those waves crashing out on the sea, son? Our God is the one making those waves out there. That's not the end of the connections to the Old Testament. Look at how this event in our text fits like a glove with Jonah 1, which we read. Both stories have men setting sail on a sea. In both stories, a storm suddenly comes upon the sailors. Both times, the main character falls asleep on the boat and stays asleep during the storm. In Jonah 1, it's Jonah himself. In Mark 4, it's Christ. Both times, a person sleeping is woken up by people scared of the storm. The captain of the ship told Jonah, call upon your God. Perhaps he will give thought to us that we may not perish. And the disciples said to Jesus, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then in both events, the wind and the sea are quieted in an instant. Of course, we know there's one great difference between the two stories. And what's that difference? Well, in Jonah 1, the Lord, the Lord God quiets a storm the sea when Jonah is thrown overboard. But in Mark 4, the storm and the sea is stilled simply by Jesus' own command. And that's the difference, but it's actually a similarity again. Because what does that difference drive home to us? Drives home that Jesus Christ is true God. He commands the wind and the sea and they obey him. See, there's one more similarity between these two passages in Jonah 1. What did the sailors do after the storm was stilled? They feared the Lord exceedingly and they worshiped the Lord. It was clear to them that Jonah's God, Yahweh, had stopped the storm. And so they knew that Jonah's God was the true God. And in Mark 4, the disciples came to know this very thing about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why they asked, who then is this? They were amazed at what they just saw because of what it meant about the Lord Jesus. Because this is true, Psalm 107, which we sang from earlier, prophetically predicts our text. It almost describes perfectly our text. Some went down to the sea in ships. The Lord commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. Their courage melted away in their plight. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. See, this is it's about our Lord Jesus Christ and His power. Seeing all these things from God's Word, the question is now directed at us. The same question Jesus asked His disciples, do you have faith? And you see that Jesus Christ is not just an ordinary man. He is also true God. 
see his divine power at work. He can calm the wind and the sea, and they obey him. It's crystal clear who he is. He's true God, came to this earth to save us. As Hebrews 1 verse 3 proclaims, the Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Brings us to our next point. Christ's loving rebuke implies that his disciples should have already known who he was. And indeed, he had given ample evidence of that already. He had done this through his previous miracles and, and through his teaching. But Christ's rebuke shows more than they should have known who he was. Given who he was, they should have had no reason, actually, to be afraid. He said, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, again, humanly speaking, it seems like a silly question. We hit a sailor's worst nightmare. Of course we were afraid, Lord. And so when the disciples woke up Christ, they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? And again, humanly speaking, it's understandable that they would say this. We would probably say the same thing, I I would guess. How can Jesus just sleep with a storm threatening to sink the ship? Doesn't he care that we're about to drown? And are those not the sorts of questions that can arise in our hearts too? Especially when troubles arise. Lord, I feel like I'm I'm dying. Don't you care that I'm suffering? Are you sleeping as I'm going through this pain. Do you care? Or maybe we just wonder, why did God send us a trial that threatens to sink our ship in life? I've titled this second point, Two Different Fears, and perhaps we can say there's three fears here in our text. The first two are tied together. The disciples feared the storm. And seeing Christ sleeping, they also fear that Christ didn't care about them or their plight. It's the same thing we often face. We we look at the sufferings of life, we fear it, and and that often comes with the fear that, that perhaps God might not care. But it's not true. God does indeed care. He does care even in these things, and that is also part of Christ's loving response to his disciples. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You should have known who he was, and also that they did not need to be afraid. They weren't wrong to wake up Jesus and seek his help. None of them said, now, we're the sailors here. We know how to handle a ship. He's just a carpenter. He's not going to be able to help us. No, they were not wrong to seek Christ's help. This was their Lord. But they were wrong to believe that Christ did not care or that they would perish. It's true that Christ stuns them with this question, why were you so afraid? But he has the power to calm the wind and the sea. Do you think he was then caught off guard when the storm arose? No, he sustains the whole universe by the word of his power. 
fact, this storm arose by His, his divine power. Does He care? Of course He does. The Son of God came to this earth. He was willing to take upon a human nature. Of course He cares. He called these men to be His very own disciples. Did he do this only to let his disciples drown in the, in the middle of the sea? Of course not. It's the same doubting shown by Israel in the wilderness out of Egypt. Did God bring us out of Egypt only to kill us in the wilderness? No. It's the same for these disciples. Christ shows his powers through God. He loved them. He cared for them deeply. That's why he came to this earth. We not let them simply perish. He did not call them for that. Notice how after Christ's rebuke, after it's calmed the wind and the sea, the disciples' fear of the storm was replaced with another fear, the second fear of our text. Our text says they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the fear of the Lord so often talked about in Scripture. It's important to state that it's different than the terror of the storm. This is an awesome reverence of God. It's a fear that the sailors had in Jonah 1 after the sea and the storm were stilled. There it says, the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They saw the power of God and so they were in awe of Him. They trembled at the awesome weighty matter of seeing Almighty God at work. And this is the fear of the disciples at the end of our text. They had just seen Almighty God at work. God was standing in front of them in the person of Christ. How truly awesome that is. That's why they stood there with their jaws wide open. They were shocked, and we should be amazed as well, stunned. God was standing right in front of them. God has come to this earth to save His people. And this realization in the disciples should have prepared them for future events in Christ's ministry. He had shown them, He had shown the disciples there were no danger of drowning. Christ would never get to the point where he's caught off guard and, oh, I died. If he can control the wind and the waves, do you think the crucifixion was an accident? Do you think he was caught off guard when he was captured and then put to death on a cross? No, it's for this very purpose that he came. So that we would not perish eternally. That's why he willingly went to the cross. The miracle in our text shows that the cross was no accident. He was not overpowered when he was crucified. Christ, as the Son of God, was sustaining the very cells in the bodies of the soldiers as they drove the nails into his hands and his feet. In fact, he sustained those very nails by his power. And by his divine power, Christ was upholding the cross which upheld his human body. Such was his great love for us. 
At every moment, he had the power to say no to the cross. But he didn't. He willingly upheld that cross until all was finished. He willingly suffered every moment so that all of our sins might be paid for completely. What does this mean for us as we face the storms of life? Well, it can help drive out the fear the disciples had while the storms raged around them. They were afraid that they would perish or that God did not care. They did not need to be afraid. And the trials and suffering of this life are not an accident. God is not caught off guard by them. In fact, He is in control through them. We need to remember the logic of Romans 8. If God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how then will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Give us what we need through the suffering of life. Of course, we need to be clear. It doesn't mean that God is going to instantly calm the storms of life uh, for you right now. In fact, maybe the storm gets stronger even as you call out to God for help. And maybe we do physically lose our lives here in this life. But we can be confident that none of these things shall separate us from God's love. God has proved His love for us by giving us His Son to die in our place. And if He has done that, then we truly and really have nothing to fear. Amen.